welcome to the DE Talk podcast. I'm really excited to chat with our guest, Elizabeth Jennings from the National Disability Institute, but I'm also excited to welcome Heather Hoffman from Recruit Rooster. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to since we began the podcast series. Today, we are going to be talking all about women in leadership, why women make excellent leaders, the gaps that continue to exist, and what we can do to nurture, support, and help develop future female leaders. So let's start by sharing a little bit of our backgrounds and how we got into our roles. Elizabeth, why don't you share your background and story first? You've worked exclusively in the nonprofit space, I think. Yes, that's correct, Candy. And first, I want to give just a quick thank you to you and to Direct Employers for having me with you today and for your efforts to increase diversity in the workplace, um, including those efforts for people with disabilities. For the last 20 years, I have worked exclusively in the nonprofit sector. I've worked as a direct service provider for local Goodwill, as a funder focused on community impact for United Way of Palm Beach County, and for the last 12 years at the national level for National Disability Institute, where I am currently the acting executive director. Early on in my career, I made a decision to work in the nonprofit sector because of the ability to focus on mission and to lead multiple partners toward solutions that positively impact people with disabilities. Wow, you know, it's, it's funny. I've only been in the nonprofit sector for about six and a half years and <clears throat> came from corporate America. But, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I think I would have gone directly to the nonprofit space. I, I sincerely enjoy what we do here. So, um, Heather, um, in that continuing that conversation, what about you? Where did you begin and, and what is your current role with Recruit Rooster? You okay. were part of the nonprofit and now you're yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Candy. So I'm the chief operations officer of Recruit Rooster and really where I began um, as I kind of pondered this question here, I, I grew up really in business. So that's really where I started my journey in the business world um, back when I was just a little a little kiddo. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of college, this is Candy's actually uh, favorite university. I went to Purdue University. <laughs> I figured we would make sure to work oh, that yeah. in there. <laughs> Boiler up. <laughs> Uh, went to Purdue and, and right out of college, uh, I quickly became an entrepreneur. I've, I've known since I was a little girl that I've always wanted to be in business. Um, I then got into the corporate world back in the early 2000s and worked my way into sales and human resources, worked my way up the ladder into management and then into leadership. And I've been with direct employers now since 2012 and Recruit Rooster spun out of direct employers. We're a wholly owned subsidiary of DE uh, back in 2018. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's been a fun story and, and we absolutely love the name of that side of our business, Recruit Rooster, we have so much fun with that. And, and I think everybody thinks that we're staffing agencies and we're not. So <laughs> we have a great time with that. Um, I guess I'll just give a, a little quick background um, of my own. I actually um, never really thought about going into business. I honestly thought I was either going to be a school teacher or a clinical psychologist. I, <laughs> and here I am in corporate, or I was in corporate America for 30 years and now in the nonprofit space. And interestingly enough, when I was in college, my mother and I went to Orlando, Florida and visited our neighbors from when I I was born there. And the man of the family asked me, he said, Candy, what do you want to do when you graduate? And I said, you know, I I 
think I'm going to probably end up teaching or, or, you know, going on to get my master's in psychology. And he said, well, he said, either way, you need to decide if you want to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond. And when I was 18 years old, I didn't really know quite what that meant. And um, I spent 30 years as a small fish in a big pond <laughs> in corporate America and um, <clears throat> was a member company of direct employers and they contacted me to come here and it was the best best move I ever made so um, to your point Elizabeth um, the nonprofit space is completely different and I think it allows a lot of opportunity for people that um, don't really know how their their abilities can divert from one area to another and I think it's been a great opportunity for both Heather and me I think so so I love how varied our paths have been Uh, I truly feel like it's um, our life experiences that help mold us as leaders and and shape our ability to inspire and encourage those around us as women in leadership roles it's really our job to not only lead the organization but also set an example for up-and-coming women on our staffs and the industries we serve as well So, Elizabeth, what motivated you to become a leader? And then, Heather, I'm going to ask you the same. When I thought about it, I thought I wasn't sure at first that I had a motivation to become a leader, uh, but I was very fortunate to work for a Goodwill that recognized that I had skills and encouraged me to apply for, and then I did receive a position to direct a federal grant. And that position really allowed me to flex some leadership skills and become a leader within the organization. There were many other grantees for the same project in our state. And uh, once I got a taste of using my leadership skills among these multiple partners, I really was hooked. I saw that as a leader, you could have an incredible um, opportunity to make a unique difference, that you could focus more on macro issues and implementation as opposed to the one-on-one service delivery. And that ability to bring people together and guide them towards one focused solution is really what kept me in this leadership space for for all of this time. So Elizabeth and Heather, when you answer the question, did you actually think, I know Heather, you said you wanted to go into business. Mm -hmm. Did you actually think someday I want to be a leader? So Elizabeth, what about you? And then you add that to your answer, Heather. (laughs) I, (laughs) I, I didn't actually know when I was young that the job I have now existed. I knew that I wanted to make a difference in the, in a civil rights movement, and I had a very strong focus on fairness. And I think the way that I work um, is what grew those passions into being a leader. But it wasn't it wasn't an intentional and deliberate path that I put myself on. It was more um, taking opportunities as they came and recognizing uh, what I wanted to contribute and the different ways that I could make those contributions. Interesting. Heather, what about you? Yeah, for me, I would say, um, you know, obviously we all have different upbringings. Mine was more of an instinct, uh, not something that really evolved over time. And I mentioned earlier on that I grew up in business. Maybe I'll paint that picture a little bit more for you. Um, My father was and still is an entrepreneur and has multiple businesses. And I'm an only child. And so outside of school at a very (laughs) young age, my uh, afternoons and evenings and weekends were 
spent in the business world and I didn't know anything different. That was just, um, you know, a regular life for me. And that is really where I started my love uh, for the business world. And I was just involved and around leadership constantly. Uh, so it's more of a natural thing for me. Um, and as obviously my, my career has progressed and, um, you know, I started within sales and then worked my way up. But um, it's something that I, I not only value, but also really enjoy uh, working with each and every one of what I like to call the roosters on the <laughs> Recruit Rooster team. Uh, it's a privilege for me to, to be able to work alongside of them. You know, it, it is funny. Um, like I said, I never really thought, well, I really want to be a leader someday. But I had always done well in school, and I think leadership, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of doing the best job in the job that you have. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times leaders just emerge from the roles that they hold right. because can tell who the the smart workers are the hard workers are and they emerge because they can be counted on they can you know they can be relied upon and that sort of thing so I guess that's kind of what happened with me but um, this is going to be an interesting one for Heather I'm going to ask you first Elizabeth um, and the reason I'll I'll tell you that's going to be interesting for Heather is because we just all of us on our leadership team here at Direct Employers just finished DISC profile. So <laughs> think about how you're going to answer that, Heather and yeah. Elizabeth. I'm going to ask you what your leadership style is and and to talk about how you lead your team as a result. Sure. Now I'm very excited to hear Heather's response. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a very collaborative leadership style here at NDI. I work hard to foster the empowerment of every staff member from the um, folks who are doing the programmatic work to the folks who are doing administrative work. I want each person to lead their work and to support each other and importantly to use their practical wisdom to do what they believe is the right thing to do in the moment. Within our structure, I find opportunities for shared leadership of meetings and projects we try very hard not to be very hierarchical because we want everyone to feel that they have power over the work that they're doing and the decisions that they're making. And then I make myself available to talk with staff about their work, uh, what they're passionate about, and how they can use the connection between the work they're doing and the passions they have to motivate them for the extra push that it takes some time and maintain their engagement. That, that's very One cool. other thing I think, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we have actually found this to be a really um, great strategy for success in and in preventing some burnout is to look at what staff are passionate about and see how we can craft our work around those passions because they are motivators for people to be even more innovative and work even harder than they already do. All right. So I wanted to point to one more um, piece of our leadership values here, and that is um, holding responsibility for the choices that we make, <laughs> even when we're wrong, even when we make mistakes, um, to view all of those moments as just ways to fall, fail forward, um, to acknowledge that we made a mistake, and to um, use it as a moment in time to learn from it, rather than feeling that it's um, a deficiency on anyone's part. Well, I, I call that a learning opportunity or a teaching moment. So, <laughs> so I, I agree with Absolutely. that. I agree with that philosophy. 
Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I would I would echo, um, you know, what Elizabeth had mentioned there, the collaborative style. I think that we we carry that uh, very, yeah, yeah, we really do throughout direct employers and recruit roosters. So that's something that, that we share with you, Elizabeth. Um, I would say as far as my own personal leadership style, it's really evolved over time. Um, I really try to keep positivity in mind. Some days that's easier than others, <laughs> but, um, you know, any type of conversation that I'm having with staff, whether it be guidance or, um, you know, constructive criticism, I try to keep that constructive component uh, top of mind. And, and really, I mean, I feel like I'm hopefully one of their biggest cheerleaders when it comes to, um, you know, motivating them and encouraging them uh, to, to function throughout the day. Is that right, Jordan? She's a rooster. Yeah, yeah. Just for those listening, so we have a rooster employee sitting here with us, and then she can she can possibly comment on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with the um, collaborative style, and I, I also, Elizabeth, to your point about having an open door, we kind of have a joke in my office about my my door being a revolving door because people are always in and out, and even if my door is closed, somebody will knock on it, you know. That is but very I al- true. <laughs> but I also think part of that is because we're women. You know, I don't know that I would knock on a man's office door and just say, excuse me, I want to come and talk to you. You know, I, I've thought about that periodically. I think that might be something, and I don't think it's a, a sign of disrespect at all. I just think that there's more of an openness or a more of an opportunity that people think they can just come on in. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I've thought about that periodically that maybe you wouldn't do that if that were a man. But, okay, next question. Elizabeth, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to pick on you first since you're <laughs> since we don't see you here. <laughs> um, are there certain qualities or traits that you feel have helped propel you forward? I, I thought about this question quite a bit, and I think that there are definitely qualities and traits that leaders have or build in order to be successful in a leadership position. But more so, I thought about this moment in time several years ago when I purchased a magnet for the fridge here at NDI. And it says, failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. And I think that sentiment has aided me greatly. It propels me forward. It gives that mix of persistence and my deep core belief that if you work hard, if you have a strategic approach, if you're creative and collaborative, and to your point, Heather, if you have a positive attitude, anything is possible. And when you work in the nonprofit sector, You have to do a lot of grant proposals. You have a lot of hard deadlines. You have to rein together a lot of people to move in one direction. And this concept that failure is not an option, that we just have to keep moving forward and getting it done, is something that I think has helped me greatly and helped all of us here at NDI to keep on trucking, just keep on trucking. (laughs) There's never a... a delay in the amount of work that we have in front of us is there (laughs) yeah yeah and if i may i'd like to kind of comment on the the failure uh is not an option (laughs) i love how how you uh, kind of coined that term there for me personally um as part of my journey failure has been an option uh and and what i've done is i've just i've just tried really hard to learn from each and every failure so um it sounds like you did a little bit of preparing uh, yourself, Elizabeth. I did some too, and, and I jotted down, um, you know, fail forward uh, rather than, you know, fail and revert. You need to learn from mistakes that are made, not only that, you know, potentially you make yourself, but uh, with those around you. 
Um, I'm always looking to other successes and their failures and trying to absorb uh, what it is they're doing and not doing that, that could have potentially made them better. And then that apply that myself. So I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think um, it's kind of like making people angry. I, I always say if, if you don't make anybody angry, you're not doing anything. You know, I mean, it. there are times that you have to um, do things that aren't in maybe everyone's best idea of something that you've had to decide upon. Um, one thing that that I've learned, and it was it was kind of a tough lesson, and it was thanks to one of our <clears throat> senior leaders here. Uh, shortly after I took over this role, he told me that I needed to stop being so defensive. And, you know, it's one of those things that you don't really realize that you are defensive or that you have various shortcomings. And so my immediate response was, what do you mean? I'm not Oh, I'm, I'm not defensive. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was something that was constructive criticism. And it was delivered in a positive way. I get that. Um, but it's always hard to hear. But I've tried very, very hard to to not be defensive. And it's tough. Sometimes it, I fall back into my old habits. But I do try to um, make sure I, I keep that new um mentality moving forward and it is it is kind of a challenge sometimes but it's not necessarily a failure but I I do I mean you, you could consider that a failure and failing forward so um, I think that's something that we all kind of share so Elizabeth how did you reach your level of, of success given the workplace gender gap especially among leadership I think I was consistent in three things. I always worked hard. I put in a lot of time and watched for opportunities to um, give give extra. I worked closely with the leaders of each organization I was in uh, and other leaders in the community to learn from them and also to be a supportive collaborator with them. I felt that that was really important. But I think the most important thing I've done is take ownership of my decisions. I have watched and been around many talented people who do great work, but they don't want to be left holding the bag as the decision maker. And I think that that's an important component of uh, rising to the role of being a leader, is you have to be willing to make decisions, sometimes really hard decisions, and take ownership of those decisions even when they turn out to be the wrong one. And that, I think, has made a huge difference for me. Well, I think always, too, <clears throat> even even decisions that maybe aren't the best at the, at the time, as long as you can justify why you made them at the time and then, you know, fix the problem. You know, if you don't do anything wrong, you know, how are you going? I, what somebody told me one time is that if you're all perfect and you don't make any mistakes, it's going to be a pretty boring world. So, you know, I think we have to have mistakes to <laughs> help us be better, you know, so. Mm -hmm. um, Heather, what about you? Yeah, I share in Elizabeth's comments there. Uh, she stated, give extra. And my response to that, Candy, would be persistence and consistency with performance. Um, I mean, since we work so closely together, you know some of the skills that um, that I have and that I try to apply on a daily basis. But um, for me, you know, organization, uh, consistency, Heather just that's truly the most organized person <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and I have a love for processes. I really do. And where there's not a process, I will create. Yes. I'll create this is one. True. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, as my leadership style has evolved too, um, 
I believe that I've become more humble as the years have gone on for me. Um, and I've also became um, more empathetic, you know, towards my my peers and uh, the staff that, that reports to me. So I try to, to maintain that day in and, and day out. Um, Part of that, Heather, is aging. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Actually, one of my comments later on, I'm going to talk about my age. So... <laughs> So see, it is good for us to be getting older. It is, so. yeah, and to be transparent. You know, you want to be transparent, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Um, Heather and I talk about this quite a bit because we are, for all intents and purposes, a couple of tech companies. And we love the fact that we're two females leading tech companies. And that's relatively unusual and you know, we have about half of our leadership team is made up of females. Right. And so we find that to be pretty cool, um, especially in this space and to have women as, as leaders. And I think we're respected leaders in our in our field as well. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I think that it adds a lot of skills uh, to, the, to the table. Mm -hmm. I really do too. All right, so let's look at some facts. Women represent 50.8% of the U.S. population and they earn more than 57% of undergraduate degrees, and believe it or not, 59% of all master's degrees. However, women only occupy 10% of top management positions in the S&P 1500 companies, and constitute only 11% of the top earners in Fortune 500 companies. So for someone who has worked her way up through various positions, I see this as a problem, and I attribute it to unconscious or implicit bias. So how can we change the view of women in leadership roles and change the system to be truly inclusive and an equal playing field for both men and women? Elizabeth, you're up first. Yeah, when I looked at this, Candy, I thought there's also new uh, information that women now hold just over 50% of American jobs, mm -hmm. uh, excluding farm workers and the self-employed. And all of the effort to have women enter STEM fields has really worked as now 56% of the U.S. workforce for scientists and engineers under 29 years old are women. So I really considered that we have quite an interesting majority going on. <laughs> and you ask a great question, which is what are we going to do with it? Um, I think to start, we need to speak up. We recognize that women do less negotiating for salary. We accept lower salaries than men. Um, we're not necessarily trained on how to ask for what we want or really how to recognize our worth. And then we can feel some frustration with um, younger workers who come in and ask for pay that's out of scale, but they don't yet have the education and experience. So there is some nuance here that we need to train women on how to better negotiate, how to recognize their worth, and also support young women when they go a bit out of scale, how they can be on a path to earn what they want, and how they can better understand um, what's the right scale within your own organization. And I think part of that really starts with those of us who have access to pay scales and compensation packages that we need to speak up. We need to be very clear and address inequity and be consistent in that. In my role here at National Disability Institute, I actually work with our director of finance 
We uh, assess compensation each time we um, look at increases in pay, and then we work across leadership to address any inequities that may exist. And that takes time, it takes diligence, it takes discretion, but it's really important. If we as women leaders don't demand pay equity for ourselves and our staff, I don't know who will. I think I think you're right. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are still getting used to women feeling comfortable and speaking up. But I think doing it in a respectful, knowledgeable, convincing way is is obviously key to that. So, um, Heather, what do you think? I have to say that's the D in my disc. <laughs> speaking up and uh, <laughs> making my opinion known, hopefully in a, in, a, in a way where I have awareness, you know, that constructive. See, I've got the influencing, so see, yeah. I can influence them that I need to make more money. We're a good team, that's for sure. Well, I'll say, Elizabeth, I loved that that you stated that we should really be supporting um, young women that are looking to get into leadership roles. And that's definitely something that Candy has done with me personally. Um, so I think later on, we're going to talk about uh, other leaders that have inspired us. And she's definitely one that has has inspired me and impacts me on on a daily basis. So but my response to that question would be uh, show up. You know, first you have to show up to the opportunity. And um, also you need to expect equal pay and through that uh, perform and prove that you're worth it. Yeah, I think you're right. For me, it's about making our male counterparts our allies. Yeah. Oftentimes I look around in meetings and, and I'm literally one of only a handful of female leaders in the room, but you know, I fortunately have a mindset related to partnership and inclusion and um, influencing with my, my disc profile. But I, I'm a person that builds relationships easily. And I feel like I've been able to somewhat break through the glass ceiling and, and be invited to the table to be a part of, of some amazing conversations. Um, what do you guys think? You feel like you're, you're an accepted part of, of a group when you're in a meeting? I do, absolutely. Yeah. I really do, um, especially here you know, throughout DE. I think that we support women in liter- leadership um, and, and, and very well, I think that, that we're delivering in that aspect. So Elizabeth, what about you? I would agree. We have a, a large majority of our senior leadership here at National Disability Institute um, is comprised of women. And I really have to give a, a shout out to our founder and first executive director, Michael Morris, because it is under his um, leadership that so many women were brought in and um, and promoted internally. Um, so we did have a wonderful ally in Michael and I, continue I to do so. But yeah, he's great. He's do wonderful. You know what? Yeah, the uh, first time I met him, the prior CEO of, of one of my corporate America positions, the CEO's name was Michael Morris. And it was like, wow, when I met <laughs> when I met your Michael Morris from from National Disability Institute, it really took me aback, you know, it was like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> and and both were great guys. So that's, that's kind of cool. So anyway, um, great. yeah, so I can honestly say we're, we're living in a, a really interesting time where the topic of, of women in leadership is is not being brushed under the rug. And, and I'm very excited to head up an organization that that supports my leadership and, and Heather's as well. Um, it's proven that, that time will not solve the gender leadership gap, only action will. So as leaders, we have the responsibility of creating an equitable workplace culture. So my question is, how can we do this in our own organizations? Overtly, Candy. 
overtly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we I, uh, I, have to be really intentional about this. I, I think you're right. One thing we've been trying to do, and Heather, I think you'll agree, we've been trying to be a lot more transparent. Mm -hmm. We've tried to share you know, our, our future direction. And we have a pretty good mix here of men and women. <clears throat> and um, I think we, we've actually been hiring more women technical people, um, and, and that's a positive. But we have a lot of, I mean, our marketing department is all female, um, and, and we have a lot of, of females that, that are rising. Um, and, and interestingly enough, Elizabeth, one thing I wanted to mention, we um, direct employers is a 501c6, so we're a uh, trade association. So part of our mission is to be there for our members. And one of Heather's clients actually called us customer obsessed. And I think a lot of that, and I'm not tr truly not trying to stereotype, but women tend to have that type of nurturing. attention, nurturing, yeah, yeah not or um, background. So mm -hmm. that's been very beneficial for us as well. So, okay, so let's switch gears a bit. I know everyone has someone in their life that has helped mentor them or inspire them throughout their career. For me, it was Mary Kofer, and I'm going to have to send her a link to this. Yeah. <laughs> she was my former boss at American Electric Power. And even today, she brings a smile to my face when I think of how she encouraged me to grow and challenged me throughout my career. She was one of those people that... Um, Honestly, she's she's still probably one of my closest friends. I could call her any time of the day or night, and she would be there for me. Uh, no, no question whatsoever. So who are some females that have helped shape your career? Elizabeth, we'll start with you. I have actually been very lucky to be surrounded by female leaders in both my personal and professional life. I'm one of five sisters, oh, geez. <laughs> five mom sisters was four. <laughs> born across seven years. Yeah, oh, mom wow. worked really hard. <laughs> and um, my mom has a mantra of um, principles over personalities. Hmm. And she and my dad raised us to see ourselves as independent, smart, and highly, highly capable. Hmm. And when I entered my professional career, I found that that was fostered by several female mentors I had, um, Kathy Spencer at Goodwill, Alexandria Douglas Bartolone at United Way, um, Sharon Brent here at National Disability Institute. Um, but one mentor really held the course with me across all of my jobs. Um, her name was Barbara Buck. She passed recently, very recently, and I find myself wanting to call her and talk to her and instead asking myself, WWBD, what would Barb do? <laughs> and I think that's the power of a good mentor, that their guidance stays with you even when they cannot be with you. Cool. Is it, cool. it, that is very cool. And isn't that what, you, what I say about Mary yeah, all the time? about Mary. <laughs> and I'll just share that um, we here at Direct Employers had the opportunity to meet Mary a few mm -hmm. years back. She came to our annual yep. conference deem I think it may have been deem 18 17 17 yep. okay yep. yeah and it was yeah. just it was an honor to meet her and, and to <laughs> finally put a face with with the name and yep. and share in some of the stories that Candy has you know <laughs> that shared she with us yeah went on and on sharing <laughs> yeah yeah it was fun yeah everyone has to love her though oh so. yeah she's great so what who is your your mentor Heather yeah um well as far as 
you know, within the workspace, Candy, you're, you're my mentor, yeah, you know? Yeah. Know. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> actually the up, first, <laughs> <laughs> you're the first female boss that I've ever had. Um, oh, wow. and yeah, you've been a, a great example <laughs> of, of leadership for me. Another uh, mentor of mine, I would have to say is my mother, hands down. Uh, she's been a true example for me of leadership in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she spent many years, assisting my father run his businesses while he was out traveling the world. And um, she did so in a successful uh, manner. She's got an amazing heart and uh, faith that I just truly admire. Mm-hmm. So, Well, just to, to not um, slack my mother, I actually had notes that I was going to, yeah, I, honest <laughs> to God, she was a strong and independent woman. Yeah. She, back in the day when you said that somebody had to work, mm-hmm. so my mom had to work. Um, she raised me, <clears throat> my sister's 13 years older, and I was basically raised as an only child. Um, and my mom worked, and I still had to go to school, and um, she was always there for me. She focused on what I needed. She had nothing, and yeah. she she made my clothes a lot of times mm-hmm. and um, always made sacrifices for my success. And, you know, I, I have, Elizabeth, you said you were one of five. My mom was one of four. I have I'm one of two my I have two daughters so it's kind of like all girls now I have two grandsons and I told my daughter I don't know what to do with them (laughs) I've got to learn how to how to you know occupy boys which I'm babysitting for soon um which I dearly love to do but um you know it's it's I think a lot of it interestingly enough all three of us had strong parents strong mothers it It really really does does. And, and my daughter I'm loving literally loving watching her raise my my grandsons because she's following in the same footsteps to a large extent so um, I think we can all agree that mentors are are very important in our lives so one interesting point is that women may not always realize how poised for success they they might be in leadership roles so what do you think, both of you, are some qualities that make women great leaders? And I see one word um, that I've written down, Heather, that I know you just said, too. So, um, Elizabeth, what do you think? I think we've covered a lot of them. Um, humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think women often have a mission to do something for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be very motivating and compelling. Um, dedication, courage of conviction. But what I most see in women that I don't as frequently see in men is this ability to see the strengths and talents of other people and to find ways to be supportive without taking over or diminishing the other person's power. I'm a a student of positive psychology and uh, understanding how to build self-efficacy, how to shift from well, you did a great job with that, to how did you come to decide to do it that way? How did you know that this would be the path we needed to take to help people recognize the strengths that they're bringing to the table and the abilities that they have is something that I think I see more in the way women talk to other people than in the way men talk to them. And it's it's very powerful to me. It is. Heather, what about you? Yeah, be teachable. You know, there's so much to learn. Um, and so just to, to constantly have your eyes open and your ears open and to be able to absorb um, from those around you. And that dedication that Elizabeth alluded to, you know, if you want something, you got to work hard for it. I, I second what you just said about um, 
be teachable and continue to learn. My younger daughter made the comment one time that she really finds it difficult that people get to a point in their careers where they figure that they don't have to learn anymore because, you know, they've already done everything they need to do. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, that to me is, is almost a first sign of failure. I mean, you always have something yeah. to learn, even if it's just on a personal level, it always makes you better. Sure. Um, at least that's my opinion. So everyone has moments in their career where they are uncomfortable with growing and stepping into new roles. So Elizabeth and Heather, I'd like you to tell me about one of those moments and how leaving your comfort zone impacted your career. Mm -hmm. Sure. I, I had this moment actually about six years ago. Well, I've had this moment many times, but <laughs> one that really struck out to me was close to six years ago. Um, Michael Morris shared with me that he saw my potential for succeeding him um, when he came to the time of retirement. And while I was honored and humbled, I was really terrified. <laughs> I uh, remember standing in his office and saying, I don't think that I would want to have this job. And he told me, I understand, but I'm certain that you'll change your mind. <laughs> and that comment really made me pause. I recognized he wasn't asking me what I wanted right now. He was asking me to figure out what what I would want, what would I want five to ten years from now. And so instead of doubling down on my fear, I accepted the fact that I didn't know how to do the job and told him that that I uh, my fear was based on the fact that I didn't know how to do his job. And that if he had this thought that I would need training, that I would need to build new skills, I would need to learn all the stuff I didn't even know, I didn't know, um, especially around nonprofit management. And within a year, he named me as deputy director. And over the last five years, being in that role has really equipped me with the knowledge and skills I needed to step in last year as acting executive director. Well, he obviously had faith in you. <laughs> so Heather thank yeah. goodness you did yes. <laughs> saw something in her that she didn't necessarily see, see in herself, herself at that point yeah exactly which exactly. is a great sign of leadership yep. right he was a, a great leader so for me this would have been back in 2011 2012 it was um, coming over to direct employers at that point in my career, I was so successful in sales and management, it was scary to leave something that I had done such yeah, a phenomenal job at and uh, venture on into the leadership world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, some of the same um, feelings that Elizabeth had, it sounds like when she was um, taking on this new journey, just, you know, fear of, of not being able to perform the job, there was a lot for me to learn. And, um, you know, you have to kind of power through uh, some of those feelings. And, you know, my drive kicked in and my, my willingness to succeed. Um, and I feel like it was such a great move, um, again, just being teachable. You know, if, if you're uh, putting yourself in that position to, to be teachable, you can continually uh, climb the ladder. Well, I, interestingly enough, my experience was um, an assignment that Mary had given me, and I was going to do um, what is called an on-site um, compliance evaluation with the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, and Mary taught me everything I knew about affirmative action. And um, 
I was going to do an on-site and I did not feel prepared at all. And I said, finally, I, I was fretting for like three or four days. And I finally went into her office and I said, Mary, I, I, I honestly, I, 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 don't, I, I can't do this. I, I mean, and I was literally stumbling just like that. I said, I, I, I can't do this. And she put her pen down and she said, Candy, number one, I don't ever want to hear you say the word can't again. And number two, do you honestly think I would set you up to fail? And, you know, you talk about the, the effect that those mentors have on us, but she had faith in me that I didn't have in myself, mm-hmm. and I needed that confidence in me uh, to be able to be successful. And one other time I had an audit after I had left American Electric Power and went to Cardinal Health, who I did have a couple of other female mentors there, Donna Mann and Nancy Shaw, and... I had an audit there and I called Mary to see how to handle it and because they wanted some information and I didn't know if I should send it. Well, she was on vacation. Can you imagine? And she didn't answer my phone. <laughs> and I was like, you know, well, lady, I mean, you could be, you know, like waiting for Candy to call anytime she needed you, but, <laughs> but I had to make my own decision and I was successful. So she called me about a week or two later and she said, hey, I'm sorry I missed your call. Um, what did you need? And I told her and I said, so actually I asked first how she would handle a situation like that. And she, she told me and I said, yes, it's exactly what I had done. But I think I needed to figure out that I had had it down. You know, I, I knew what I needed to do through her teaching, you know, and um, that was kind of my way then to realize that I've got it. Yeah. I can handle this on my own, you know. She may so. not have answered that phone call on purpose for you well. to have to be put in that position to, to make your own call, you I know. I have thought about that. <laughs> it's not. No. <laughs> I still love you, Mary, if you listen to this. <laughs> we'll have to get the real scoop now that yeah. it's years, years gone, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So I've got just a couple more questions. Um, what do you both do? Um, Heather, I, I know to a certain extent, just because I, I, I know your family, but Elizabeth and Heather, um, you know, we all try to have personal lives outside of work. Um, how do you both have, or how do you maintain a level of work-life balance that both supports your career aspirations and your personal life? Well, this is a, a great question, I think. Uh, but when I struggle, I struggle with this, concept of a work-life balance because <laughs> I get a lot of well-being from work. I really love I the work that, that I do. Too, yeah. um, <laughs> it's a, it's important. Um, there's a, a psychologist, Martin Seligman, who created the PERMA model of well-being. And for me, work covers that entire PERMA spectrum. It gives <laughs> me positive emotions, engagement, positive relationships, meaning and accomplishment. So I do have a rule that I set for myself and I encourage other staff to adopt. We talk about it very openly. And um, my rule is that I monitor my well-being at work. If I'm not experiencing well-being, then I pause to kind of figure out what's going on. If I'm, um, if it's after hours or I'm at the office on the weekend for something and I feel uh, like I'm not experiencing well-being, I go home. Um, if it's in the middle of the day, I might decide I need to get up, take a walk, um, just take a break, make a connection with someone. Um, and this is the way I kind of balance it, that I have the things I do in my personal life that are fun and the people that I love and all of those relationships that I foster. Um, but I don't deny that I really love being at work 
and um, I just acknowledge that work is important to me and um, that it's okay and healthy to take a step away from it when I want to engage in other things. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with that. You just make it sound very, elo- very eloquent in the she way does. that you yeah, <laughs> describe it. It's like, you know, when, when the weekend is coming, I'm ready for the weekend. And when the weekend is coming to a close, I'm ready for work. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I honestly, I don't get upset on Sunday evening when I'm going back to work. And I yeah. was here on Sunday at the office. To, <laughs> to coming in and seeing yeah. everyone. I mean, you guys are like a second family. so. <laughs> but she does have two adorable young children, except they're Purdue fans. I, I'm they still are working Purdue on fans. Yeah. And they make sure to tell Candy every time they, they come into the office. They wear their their you know attire that uh, is supporting the, the university. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Candy is a, a diehard IU fan. So this is the one thing that we never can agree on, and we love to just throw it in each other's faces. We're going to have our old or our own old oaken bucket yeah. uh, competition in our lobby next or this year, I guess yeah. <laughs> this fall. So, yeah. but yeah, um, to that point, Candy, I do have a family at home and two young children, um, a son and, and a little girl, uh, 11 and and five, and I've got an awesome support system. So I have a husband that's very supportive of my career. He has a career himself as well, um, but he supports me when I travel and he's not afraid to cook, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> and then my mother is very active in our lives and, and she's, um, you know, a caretaker mm-hmm. um, before and after school, which is very helpful for me uh, so that I can leave early and get home late but um you know i just love being busy Uh, and so that's one of the things that really drives me um is that you know i'm busy here at work but i also love being busy at home and had i not had that type of characteristic i i I don't know that i'd be able to to continue (laughs) moving on so it's a good thing that i I like being busy i can i can serve both purposes (laughs) very well (laughs) well and that's what yeah i mean i i'm fortunate because both my kids are grown yeah and they've got their own careers um one is a an elder law attorney and one is an athletic trainer and so they're very busy in their careers and um, I have a husband who's retired so I can kind of come and go as I please so that that helps a lot as well so this is probably um, going to be one of the toughest questions Um, what has been the most significant barrier in your careers so um, I think I know how Heather's going to answer but Elizabeth I'm going to let you go first Sure. I think uh, working in the nonprofit sector, the greatest barrier barrier to my career has really been funding, um, and that's because we we struggle with um, having the discretionary funds that we need to be truly innovative. So, for my work personally, I want to test new interventions on resilience and overcoming inter- internal barriers to employment that I believe will create um, a new body of work for me and for NDI, but also have an important impact on on the workforce system and specifically on the employment of people with disabilities. And while it may not seem that it perfectly aligns, if we don't have the funding to do things we are most innovative, we think are most innovative, it doesn't just stall our work, but it stalls what we can do in our careers. It stalls how creative we can be and how we can test our own limits. And so that, I think, is really my greatest barrier right now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so for me, I was kind of kicking this around this morning with Candy. Um, my biggest barrier has been my age. 
and how young I am. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, growing up in the business world, it's like I came out of the womb ready to do business. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've got uh, 30 years experience at this point, but I'm, I'm just uh, so young. And I, I mean, I'm older than 30, but I'm not. <laughs> She's not as old as me. <laughs> Although I started when I was 12. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, our, our previous executive director, uh, Bill Warren, he was uh, the direct employer's founder. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to kid around that he had socks older than me so <laughs> yeah wow yeah <laughs> I wonder if they had holes in them. <laughs> well you know what interestingly enough um my biggest um or most significant barrier was this is going to sound really bizarre especially what my background is um and it was my color and i'm a white female mm. i um spent many years um, working with Mary and she's a black female and um, she was retiring and they told me that I was um, perfectly qualified to take her job but I wasn't the right color wow and um, talk about making Mary angry beyond mm -hmm. belief um, but you know what I think that was probably a good step for me because it wasn't long after that that I left and went to um, Cardinal Health and um, I think stuff like that, when that happens, it, I think, um, made me a little stronger and made me, I think, look inward at what I can do mm -hmm. and what, what I know and what I am capable of. And I honestly think I took that well. It was kind of yeah. one of those failures, but right. um, it was exactly, yeah. it, exactly. But I do believe that that is probably kind of the impetus to mm -hmm. where I am today. I really do believe that. So um, it's interesting the different types of barriers that we've all had to face. And I think any successful person, male or female, has had some type of barrier sure. in their background. So, okay, last question. Um, how do you think females can differentiate themselves in the workplace? We work with a lot of men, a lot of other females as well, but how can we, and I mean all females, how can we differentiate ourselves? got a fun answer to this okay. one if you don't mind no um so i say let your skills shine <laughs> with a big exclamation point um i think that we as women we have unique <laughs> skills and abilities and there's definitely a need for us so keep mm -hmm. that in mind well and i thought my mine was very simple make a difference yeah and that's elizabeth kind of what you've been saying too make a difference you know and and don't just let your presence be something people take for granted but make a, a positive difference is what I should say. Elizabeth, what do you think? Yeah, when I thought about this, my mind really went to um, psychological safety in the workplace and um, new research that's demonstrating that, you know, when people are afraid at work, they um, aren't as cognitively sharp, they're demotivated. And I was thinking about how women can differentiate themselves by looking at how they handle power, the power that you have right now, and, mm -hmm. and how you can handle additional power in a way that's going to be very thoughtful. I think people want leaders that they can trust, and that mm -hmm. trust includes being able to speak up, question decisions, uh, make mistakes without being mistreated or punished. Um, as we noted, when people make mistakes, it's an opportunity for everyone to, to learn. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, not feeling safe at work can be really a drain on people. So women can, um, can really take hold of a, a new space 
in workplace culture where they can be good stewards of power um, by being conscientious of their approach, uh, responsive to the reactions of staff, which you noted earlier, Candy, and um, open and flexible to the idea that uh, we as a leader may need to change um, so that we can be what our staff needs and be uh, making sure that just the issue of having a position of authority doesn't create um, an unintentional um, and unwelcomed power dynamic. I, I agree. And, and one thing, and you kind of hinted towards this, um, and I think women leaders do a, a a good job at this, and that's managing the individual. You know, so many people think that you manage, you know, a team and you manage everyone the same. Yeah, the and, group. Yeah, and, and you have to manage the individual. So uh, many personalities. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like I said at the very beginning, if everybody was the same, it'd be a pretty boring world. Yeah. So if we were all perfect. Um, and, and my last comment is I think um, it's important to let people know that it's good and expected for them to bring their whole selves to work, you know, and their authentic selves to work. I think um, it kind of goes along, Elizabeth, too, with what you've been saying about how you treat the employees at, at um, the Nas National Disability Institute. Um, but we want to have a collaborative effort or environment. We want to have people feel comfortable being who they are. And I, I, I see that with Heather and the roosters. <laughs> we have roosters running around all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank Elizabeth Jennings and Heather Hoffman for joining me today. I'm truly proud to work alongside both of you ladies. Uh, there truly comes a point in your career where it's really not about you, but how you engage and empower others. And I think we all can agree on the importance of continuing this conversation. Learn more about each of us by connecting on LinkedIn, or we will include info about each of us in a short blog post following this podcast. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the DE Talk podcast. With so many great topics to cover, be sure to follow Direct Employers on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to the DE Talk podcast to receive notifications of new episodes available each month. Thanks for listening, and this is Candy Chambers with Direct Employers. I appreciate you being a part of our podcast.